Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. It's a great pleasure to welcome today to the Beeson Podcast Dr. David Coffey. Uh, Dr. Coffey is the president of the Baptist World Alliance. He has previously served as the General Secretary of the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Uh, he's a remarkable world statesman, Christian statesman, who carries the message of Christ all around the world and has done so in a magnificent way during his tenure uh, as president of the Baptist World Alliance. David, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Timothy, thank you. It's good to be at Beeson. I'm going to begin because uh, you're two things that our listeners will be interested in. You're British and you're also a Baptist. So talk a little bit about how you came to faith and what is a Baptist. I came to faith uh, in a Christian home. Uh, My dad was a Baptist pastor. uh, So it was probably uh, the Baptist faith and tradition was probably given with my mother's milk. I knew a lot about the faith. And uh, in fact, went so far as to make a public commitment at a Billy Graham uh, mission, the very first one he had in the United Kingdom, the famous Haringey crusade. And I would have been um, 13, I suppose. And I stepped out and uh, I was well uh, and carefully discipled. But I don't I don't really think that there was a sense of deep discipleship commitment. And how it came about was I was in my youth group. And my youth leader uh, asked me if I would give my testimony at an event. And I said all the right words, but inwardly I knew there was no warming of the heart. And I just went home, and although I loved uh, the Lord and believed he had died and was my Saviour and Lord, I, I just needed that Holy Spirit warming of the heart. And that came. I was 17, and soon after that event I was baptised. And I think from the moment, we have a great tradition in the British um, way of baptizing that hands are laid on you in the pool uh, as a symbol that you are being baptized into Christ, you're being baptized into his body, and you're being baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit into missionary service. And I think I have not looked back since that day. You asked me what do Baptists stand for? Um, I mean, there are theological tomes written on this, Mm -hmm. but I sum it up in three ways. I think we're a people who are passionate about discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus, each person, each born-again believer, passionate about being a disciple of Jesus. We're passionate about community. Life is to be lived in community with others. And uh, the local church, um, I always call it the, the cradle, if you like, the laboratory of where our relationships are learnt, how we live with diversity, how we learn how to be dis- uh, dis- to disagree without being disagreeable. And, and passionate about Jesus, following Jesus, passionate about community, and then passionate about God's mission for the world. Um, to be an evangelizing believer, to share one's faith, to show that faith in deeds of mercy, mm-hmm. to be prophetically aware that the timelessness of God's word has a timely application. And I think we have to read God's scriptures, which are true and trustworthy and say what is God's eternal word for today where can we find with the need of the hour the social needs that press in where can we find light and wisdom I think the wisdom sections of scriptures have sometimes been the most neglected and I think once we've discovered that then we have to be bold and courageous in in 
prophetically declaring that word so in that sense of a holistic mission um, it's not our mission it's God's mission we follow him into the world which he made and where he is present now in Britain Baptists emerged out of uh, the experience of the English Reformation and are often called nonconformists or dissenters uh, because they were not uh, a part of the established Church of England, the established religion of the realm. And so for Baptists, I think from the beginning, religious liberty, religious freedom was a very important and precious belief and enactment of their faith. Uh, say a little bit about religious liberty today and what it means uh, for Baptists all around the world. Well, as you rightly say, we were, we were born uh, in the lack of religious liberty, uh, two English Baptists, John Smith and Thomas Helwes, had to leave England where the king had not granted them the freedom and they came to free Amsterdam where they were free to practice. And in that context, I think there was a huge um, admixture of uh, reform movements flowing around the Anabaptists. You had the, uh, the stepchildren of the Reformation. You had the Puritan movement. There were a huge number of influences but from the beginning, our DNA as Baptists has included um, the, the struggle for religious liberty, the right to believe according to one's conscious, conscience, the right to change one's belief, which I'll come back to in a moment, and the right to congregate with others of a similar belief. Those in 21st century world terms are crucial, and yet they are blatantly ignored. Um, I, as you know, have led uh, human rights visits to Vietnam. Uh, in Earlier this year, I was in China. Uh, you only have to keep a watch on the secular websites, uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, let alone the Christian sites which focus on the persecuted church, to know that however uh, much growth we have seen uh, in this world, uh, we have not yet discovered I think the true meaning of religious liberty it's not enough to uh, respect uh, when we met as a delegation a Baptist delegation with government communist government leaders in Vietnam uh, they use this word respect a lot true respect means true freedom mm. uh, and to remind these people as Helwes and Smith uh, in that wonderful um, uh, volume which I think still stands in the annals of religious liberty the mystery of iniquity uh, Thomas Helwes showed how it was possible to be a patriot, a true patriot, and at the same time uh, be a true citizen of heaven. Um, but the, the king and the ruler have to be reminded that there is a prior loyalty. And I think that um, we were able to say in Vietnam and in all parts of the world where we represent uh, Baptists uh, being a voice for the voiceless, that there has to be a sense in which um, uh, these people will be good citizens they will be good patriots. They will pray for this country, but they do have a prior love and loyalty for Jesus Christ. Someone has said that the price of religious liberty is eternal vigilance. So it isn't something that we can simply take for granted uh, as a part of our religious heritage or baggage, but something that has to be continually asserted, tested, and proclaimed as uh, part of our DNA, as you say. We do, and we need to take encouragement. I mean, here's a good example. Earlier in the year, I was in, um, I was in Moscow for the gathering every four years. The Baptists in Russia have a major gathering. And at that gathering, there was a representative from the president, Medvedev, uh, his office, and there was a, a representative representing the mayor of Moscow. 
this was in 2010, they were praising the Baptists for their contribution to society and uh, the healing that they brought to where there is brokenness. In 1986, I was part of a British church delegation that went to the old Soviet Union. Uh, President Gorbachev was still uh, in power. Um, Freedom Perestroika was beginning to make its uh, presence felt, but there was still not true liberty. In other words, we, we had hoped to be able to visit prisoners. That was not allowed. They were in faraway Siberia. We visited prisoners' families, pastors who had been put in prison because they didn't register their churches. We went to see the Minister for Religious Affairs, uh, who had a Bible uh, on his desk and at one point uh, referred to his Bible and, and criticised us in the West before uh, we take uh, the, the speck of sawdust out of our brother's eye, take the plank out of, mm-hmm. out of your own eye. This is, remember, the legacy of where Khrushchev said, uh, I want to see religion, Christian religion, eliminated and I will parade the final Christian in, in the Soviet Union on television. Mm-hmm. That event never happened. So in 1986... Uh, here I go with others to see the religious uh, affairs uh, leader, director, and he had a very low opinion of Baptists, and he had a very poor opinion of Christians. Mm. 2010, a representative from the president's office comes, a representative from the mayor of Moscow, his office is there, praising the Baptists as Christians who make a valuable contribution to society. We need to remember that anybody who seeks to eliminate, to annihilate the church, goes against the word of Jesus, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. There will be periods of persecution. There will be periods when there will be great restrictions. And today, as you know, in the 21st century, uh, probably more martyrs for the Christian faith. Certainly in the 20th century, more blood was shed than any previous century. So eternal vigilance is certainly a watchword, but eternal encouragement because the tides turn. Mm, That's great. That's a great word of hope. Uh, What is the Baptist World Alliance, David? The Baptist World Alliance is um, an organization that brings together something like 44 million baptized believers and a community strength of uh, young people, children, and adherents of over 100 million. We're one of the largest organized Protestant bodies um, in about 117 countries of the world, in about 214 different you know, conventions. And what it seeks to do, um, I often call it um, Grandma's Family House, <laughs> that all these um, cousins and aunts and uncles and relatives, some are near, some are first cousins, and others are more distant cousins, but we all uh, bear the family name, and uh, we meet together. Um, sometimes uh, younger members of the family or um, junior members of the family, smaller members, they get themselves into difficulties. Uh, it might be with a, a rogue state and to bring in uh, the bigger members of the family and uh, uh, face, as it were, these people. Sometimes when there's a, a terrible disaster like a, a Haiti, Haiti earthquake or a Chilean earthquake or any of these things that happen, Baptists can join with other Christians and aid agencies in in caring for the family in those moments. I often say it's a good way to remember what we stand for, to remember the word smart. We need to be smart Baptists. The S stands for standing for unity. We're a very diverse family, and if we didn't stand for unity, we would very quickly fall apart. Mm. So having a generous spirit to recognize our unity in Christ as a unity in diversity. M stands for mission. 
evangelism. The great Onken, who was a great German Baptist, his great phrase, every Baptist a missionary. Uh, M stands for mission and evangelism. A stands for acting justly, and I've already borne witness to the importance of religious liberty. R is responding to human need, and Baptist World Aid uh, has been a wonderful conduit through which uh, aid has flowed to all parts of the world. And T, which will be dear to your heart, is thinking theologically. Mm. Uh, we believe that uh, we believe in a trained ministry. We believe in equipped disciples. Uh, so whether they're serving in the workplace, whether they're pastors, uh, missionaries, theological educators, we want to be thoughtful. We want to be theologically reflective. Um, we're a scriptural people. Uh, we're we're Orthodox, we're Orthodox Protestants, but we're also a, a culturally relevant people. And uh, with our with our mind in the Scriptures and with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we want to make that application between theology and the great issues of the day. So smart Baptists, That's sum great. up if you like, yeah. the Baptist World Alliance. Let me pick up on the unity theme that you've uh, announced. Um, as you know, I'm an ordained minister in the Southern Baptist Convention, which was one of the original founding bodies of the Baptist World Alliance, but recently, several years ago, chose to withdraw from that body. And there are other unions around the world that have done the same thing for perhaps different reasons. Talk a little bit about Baptist unity and what what would be your hope as the president of the Baptist World Alliance for that kind of unity going forward into the future? Well, as you know, I've, I've written very recently on this subject and... Um, I, I would begin uh, with um, the scriptures. I would begin with what I would call a theme verse, just as you can have the gospel in a nutshell in passages like John 3.16 and Romans 1.16 and 17. I think unity in a nutshell is Galatians 3 for me. Galatians 3.28, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That the things that sometimes the world brings in to divide people, issues of race, issues of gender, issues of class, uh, they should not matter. They should not divide us. We are all one in Christ Jesus. You have the great uh, prayer of Jesus, uh, that his people would be one, that the world might believe. We're meant to offer the world a visual aid, uh, a world that hears the gospel should be able to see the gospel. A gospel of reconciliation should be visibly expressed. I think the problem that we have is that we have what I call unity people, and we have what we call pur purity people. And this tension, uh, because both have roots in Scripture, uh, that if we're going to defend the truth, we have to watch out not to mix with those who are not defending the truth. And I think we tend to forget that, in fact, they're not meant to be polarized. Mm. Uh, we are meant to be both unity and purity people. We're meant to have a heart for unity and cooperation. We're meant to have a heart for truth and uh, to defending the truth. And I think if we could see as Baptists, and I have been to parts of the world where this is possible, I believe there are exhibitions of that kind of unity here in the States. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the, the unity of the gospel matters because Jesus said so. I think we are more effective uh, when we show that um, reconciliation in diversity to a watching world. I think when we become more concerned uh, about one another we go inwards as Baptists and I think we're meant to be facing outwards I think we face upwards in prayer we face one another in fellowship but I think we're meant to face outwards with eyes on the world and when our eyes are on one another 
uh, because we've separated unity and purity mm. and we're giving priority, you know, more to one than to the other, then I think we, we lose our balance. That's very helpful. But there are wonderful yeah. examples. It's, as you know, a sadness to me uh, at what happened uh, here in the States. But I think there are wonderful examples also here in the States where that uh, reconciled diversity is, is made possible and people are working in that. You said in an article that we published in Christianity Today back in 2005, one common theme that runs through all Baptist witness wherever they are in the world is that every Baptist is a missionary. Now, along with our commitment to religious freedom and liberty and the Holy Scriptures, it seems to me that there is this outward uh, perspective, this desire to share the good news of Christ with everyone everywhere, uh, and in a particular way, in Britain, with the witness of William Carey, the Baptist Missionary Society, that's been a hallmark of, of our witness across the centuries. Uh, say a little bit about mission today among Baptists around the world. Is every Baptist a missionary? What does that actually mean in real-life terms? Well, that's a short answer, and that is no. <laughs> uh, it's as if you're going to say, is every Baptist a Bible student or an intercessor? But that doesn't mean to say we can't hold that as, a, as an mm. ideal. I, I, this is my interpretation. I've now been privileged to visit over 80 countries and perhaps more intensively in the last five years. I don't know any Baptist group, unless they've just lost their way completely, who doesn't care for the needs of the world. Every Baptist at heart wants to see the faith they have in Jesus and the love they have for the Lord shared with as many people as possible. The difficulty we face now is that people have these alien cultures growing up around them and they don't really know where to begin. Uh, I think in my own country where um, we had strong Sunday schools and people would, would grow up through Sunday school and even if those who weren't in church, they would have a, a basic knowledge uh, of what one of our journalists in Britain has called the grammar of the culture. Mm. You know, you can't read our, our British history without having an understanding of the Christian story, our great music, uh, our great paintings, our great literature, all had that Christian story narrative into it, um, woven into it. That is no longer true. I think we probably are, are now having the first generation. When I'm interviewed by journalists now, I can no longer take for granted that they know the basic story, even if they don't commit themselves to it. Uh, we have a, a secular uh, society. Now, I think what's happened is a generation grew up knowing how they could share their faith and there would be a corresponding response. You now have not just one culture in my own country, and I observed in others, there are, there are a myriad subcultures. And how we begin to um, share our faith uh, with these subcultures is the challenge. Now, God is the missionary. You know, we are just his people. It's not our mission. We don't go out to make Jesus king. We go out because the king has not only sent us, but he's there waiting for us. Uh, we have a great hymn. You may know it in the States. Oh, Jesus, I have promised mm -hmm. to serve you to the end. Oh, let me see your footprints and in them plant my own. And God's footprints are in every community. And I think, therefore, we have to say to the Lord in our helplessness, uh, this is no greater a challenge than Carey faced. Goodness me, when you think of the journey that he made, six months by ship, um, to go to a country he'd never been to. Uh, no sort of DVDs of, you know, travel logs of mm. India. That seems a nice place to go to. That man stepped out as a pioneer. We need that kind of heroic pioneering evangelism. Daring to believe that the missionary God um, doesn't want any human being to perish. And therefore our obligation 
is to to take that gospel. And there are some wonderful examples around the world of of incarnational mission, where people, body and soul, you know, how they live, their lifestyle, the sacrifices they make in order that the gospel can be brought to needy people. It's happening. That word incarnational you used, I think is really important here. Uh, you know, in, in the States, I think it's true to some extent in Britain and elsewhere, uh, there was this huge division early in the 20th century between evangelism on the one hand, social mission on the other, and often denominations were ripped apart over that and related issues. But incarnation brings them together. The word became flesh. And uh, it seems to me that's the kind of uh, both-and approach that's both true to Jesus and the gospel and true to the best Baptist witness across the centuries. I couldn't agree more, and I, I, I think I've, I've just completed a series of studies with some pastors in, in the book of Acts following the, you know, the missionary journeys of, of Paul. And to see the flexibility of his methodology, uh, you know how he has the great verse, you know, I have become all things to all men in order that some might be saved. And you see it in those early chapters of Acts. Um, I, I think uh, when he's in a Jewish setting, he can use all the richness of, of you know, Jewish uh, scriptures. When he comes to an agricultural people who think the gods have come down among them, mm. uh, he uses that sort of creation uh, uh, theology approach. And in Athens, I think it's a it's a model. I know it's a deep passage and many Bible interpretations on it, but what I'm illustrating here is to show this this flexibility of methodology and the all things to all people in order that some might be saved. And I, I thankfully can see models of that everywhere. It's a challenge, but it's not a challenge beyond us. Yes. In the power of the Spirit, we can be missionary people in the 21st century. Great. Uh, David, you're a very gifted preacher as well as a thinker, writer. Um, one of the things that uh, our listeners would be interested in knowing about you is your involvement with the Keswick movement in England. We've heard of that uh, in America, but tell us what is Keswick and what is your involvement with it? Well, Keswick has a, a very large place in my um, life because I, I heard the call to Christian ministry at a Keswick convention uh, meeting and uh, I proposed to my wife at a Keswick convention. Uh, uh, meeting, not during a meeting, but you know, at some point while we were there. Keswick, as you know, was founded in the um, mid 19th century, um, and it was for the deepening of the Christian life, but it's always been focused on, on scripture and Bible teaching. Um, it's true to say that it's gone through, you know, different forms and emphases, but in its current form, I served for 10 years on the council uh, of the Keswick Convention. Um, it believes in the plain teaching of God's word. It believes leading people into a deeper commitment to Jesus Christ and through not only main teaching, but also seminars that deal with some of the uh, great issues of the day and how as Bible-believing Christians we can um, come to a better understanding. It's all denominations. Um, it brings together its its motto text has always been all one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, so under that text... There's a Christian uh, unity sub-theme that runs through it. Yeah. Yes, very much so. It's probably the oldest Bible convention. There are newer expressions um, of it, but uh, this one has been refreshed again and again. And some great American Christians through the years have, uh, have been teachers there. Um, obviously, people like Billy Graham and uh, people like Paul Rees. Mm -hmm. And uh, nowadays, um, a guest 
who's coming to Beeson, Alistair Begg. Yes. Um, he speaks, Sinclair Ferguson, people like this, mm-hmm. as well as British pastors and pastors from uh, around the world. Now, this past summer in Honolulu, Baptist Christians from all over the world gathered for a Baptist World Congress. And the theme was, Hear the Spirit. Uh, could I ask you to reflect uh, just a little bit on uh, what that theme is about? What does it mean, Hear the Spirit? What's the importance of the Holy Spirit for evangelism, for mission, for Christian unity, all the things we've been talking about? And it maybe ties in also with your focus on Keswick because the, 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 the filling of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit are great themes of Keswick as they're great themes of the New Testament. It's a great theme for Baptists and sometimes as Baptists we, we've actually been Binitarians and not Trinitarians. Uh, I think we found it easier to talk about um, God the Father and uh, God the Son. And I think sometimes because um, of teaching that we can't fully embrace, we somehow neglected teaching on the Holy Spirit. And yet, I think from the beginning, we have been Trinitarian uh, Christians. And this is a great theme here, the Spirit. You know, in the, in the early chapters of the, of the book of Revelation, uh, you have these seven very diverse churches. And what I like about it is how the that the Spirit, as John is inspired to write, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Each each church has a a message for their eyes only. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the church at Pergamum is very different in context from Sardis and Sardis from Ephesus and uh, Ephesus from Laodicea and so on. And I think it's it's a it's a picture, if you like, of of what God does today. Um, here the Spirit is a general word, but I, I like to think that each Baptist church would have the conviction that there are things that, that the head of the church, through his Spirit, wants to say to that particular congregation, to this particular individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've lived a rich life, and I, I thank the Lord for all the privileges that have been granted me. And I, I dare to believe it's, it's not arrogance, it's a, it's a humility, but I think it's a promise of God in Scripture that God has a personal plan for me that fits into his great story of salvation. The story of salvation is it's foundational in Scripture. That's where the foundations are, are laid. But the story of salvation is an ongoing one. We are part of that story today, and it will only be complete when... Uh, in his fullness, Jesus comes and returns to earth. And therefore, for me to say, you know, what is the part you want me to play? Here at Beeson, I, I, I'm always inspired when I... You have this great sense of history. You know, when I went to Latin America a little while ago, one of the ancient pastors there, wiser pastors, he said, some of our newer congregations think that the kingdom of God began with them. <laughs> yeah and that Jesus was born in their backyard. He said they have no theology of the ancient tree trunk, mm-hmm. that we are but branches in that ancient tree trunk. And here at Beeson, there's always that richness of history. And we have received a baton of service. And one day I will pass that on to those in my family circle and those in my friendship circle. But while I'm here, I want to run the race that is marked out for me. I want to have that conviction that that nobody but me can run that race. And in order for me to do that well, 
obediently, efficiently. I need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that story in in the um, in Luke's Gospel uh, about Simeon, who appears and disappears? He comes in as a major player for the nativity. You know the number of times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in connection with Simeon. Uh, it, it, it's referring to his character, which has obviously been shaped by a reading of the scriptures and the sensitivity of spirit so that he it's as if it's choreographed by the Holy Spirit at the very moment when Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus Simeon arrives at the temple mm. and that's not a coincidence that's choreographed by the Holy Spirit so if we're if we believe the Spirit is speaking if, if God addresses his church through his Spirit if we're listening then we can be part as Simeon was of, of God's story in our time and generation it's a great theme I've been talking to Dr. David Coffey. He's a Baptist pastor, a denominational leader, a world Christian statesman, and has served as president of the Baptist World Alliance. Thank you, David, for this conversation today. Thank you, Timothy. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational, evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.